Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, welcome back to the I Should Totally Be Dead Right Now podcast, where we tell true stories of survivors of true crime, natural disasters, and everything else in between. Welcome back, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you, Caitlin. We were off. For one week. Yeah. Was it just a week? Yeah. It actually felt like way longer. Yeah. It seems like we have not been in this room to record a podcast in about 6,000 years. Just because we do bi-weekly. Yeah. So we have So it was pretty off. much almost a month that we haven't. Could that be? No. No. Like three weeks. Yeah, three weeks. Okay. Okay. Which is close to... Anyway. Okay. <laughs> Practically mm. a month. Caitlin. Uh, My word. Well, it's the holiday season now, so we're happy about that. Yeah. We're drinking what I would consider maybe a little bit of a Thanksgiving drink. Yeah. Well, you could drink it on Thanksgiving, but you For could sure. also drink it any fucking time because it true. turns out they're delicious. Yeah. Pomegranate gimlets. Am I saying that right? Hopefully. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Mm. So I got a cookbook, a Barefoot Contessa cookbook for my birthday from my sister. Aww. And this drink recipe was inside. So it is pomegranate juice. You're supposed to put pomegranate seeds in it, but we just skipped that. Yeah. Uh, simple syrup, lime juice, and gin. Boom. And fucking mix it up in a pitcher, and then you shake it up with ice right before you serve it. And it's fucking delicious, and you can make a bunch of it all at once. Did you say simple syrup? Yes. Okay. The simple syrup that we made on your stove in yeah. one second and then poured it in hot. Good yeah, job, that's simple syrup. <laughs> No, it's really tasty. I'm not much of a gin person, but it well, it's really um. We well, can't limey. even hardly taste the. You gin. can't taste the gin, so <laughs> so it should, it's for everyone. This drink is for everyone because you can't taste the gin. So it's like drinking juice, yeah, pomegranate juice, it, yeah, and lime. Yeah, no, Ooh. it's really good. It is really good. Are you excited about the holidays? I'm super excited. Well, I mean, it's still COVID, so and we're about to have another shutdown. So, well, you recently told COVID to fuck off right to its face. I did. I that's why we were off because I was uh, exposed, but I was negative. So, the hero of the day. You can't stop me, COVID. My God, I was so bummed. You don't even know. You might know, but I was really bummed. (laughs) Yeah, right. No, I was too. Like, ugh. So, well, I'm glad you're healthy and safe. Yes, no symptoms. I didn't have any symptoms at all. So, thank. I'm very thankful for that. Yes. So, me as well. Thank you. All right. Well, you gonna right. kick us off with some kick-ass story? It is a kick-ass story. All right. This story is about Jacqueline H. Lucas. All right, Jacqueline. So, Jacqueline is born on February 14th, 1928. Oh, a little Valentine's Day, baby. Right? Super cute. He was born in a very small town in oh, North Carolina. Oh, this is Carolina. a boy. I totally thought this was a girl. I apologize. Just you wait. But he was born in a very small town in North Carolina. At a young age, he trained because he wanted to be strong and seen as strong. Hmm. Jacqueline was a girl's name, so he wanted to be seen as a hardcore person so no one would, like, make fun of him. Oh, my God. It's a boy named Sue all over again. That Johnny Cash Yes. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. So, I think he went by Jack. So, I'll call him, oh, Jack, Jacqueline. Okay. We'll, We'll call him Jack. All right. That's what he went by. Strong Jack. Yeah. So, do, do, do. At the age of 13, he enlisted as a cadet at the Edwards Military Institute in North Carolina. Oh, okay. Wow. 
Things changed when uh, December 7th, 1941 happened, which was Pearl Harbor. Oh, of course. Yes. Yes. Jack was extremely pissed off. Oh, he, like was he, not, he was mad at the Japanese for bombing yes, us, is exactly. what you're saying. So what did he do? He walked out of military school, went across the border to Virginia, bribed a notary public to uh, swear he was 17, hitched a ride to the nearest Marine Corps recruitery station. How much do you think he bribed her, the notary for? Like $5 or? A pack of cigarettes? I don't know. I know. It could be. A little bottle of liquor. <laughs> he, he forged his mom's signature to enlist and they shipped him out to the Paris Island for U.S. Marine Corps boot camp. Uh-oh. Did you ever forge your parents' signature? I did, yeah. Yeah, me too. But I Same. had <laughs> I had permission to, so. Oh, I did not. Oh. I did not. I got really good at my dad's signature. That's who I forged. My dad's just like, it just scribbles. It's like, so it's like yeah. No, my dad had a very neat signature, so oh. it took me a long time. He was very much... The neater your signature, the harder to forge. Mm-hmm. So, which just meant I had to try a little bit harder. I had, I was That's able to forge to have, like Michelle. three of my teacher's signatures. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I was a, I was a bad kid. I, forging yeah. people's signatures. Well, here's the problem. Okay. I never like to do homework. And so I would get on these like teacher parent programs where the teacher had to sign off that I got assigned the homework and then my parents had to sign off that I did the homework and then my teacher had to re-sign that I did the homework. So I finally just said, fuck all that and just started doing all the signing myself and did no homework. It worked. All right. Okay. Well, there we go. And you graduated and there we go. Thank you, fifth grade. I passed. (laughs) Fifth grade. Yeah. Well, I remember one time I even brought it up like pre-signed uh-huh. by me the teacher yeah and he was like oh it's fine i already signed it i was like ha ha, ha it works <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> that's hilarious i was a shitty student my god i think mine was just in high school and i needed to sign to like watch a movie like oh. a rated r movie and i'm like i have to turn it in today or i have to go to the library and do homework they're like all right just just, just fine it. yeah just <laughs> Fine, watch the radar movie. My mom's probably listening like, what the fuck kind of daughter did I raise? (laughs) All right, sorry. So Jack was, so he's 13. Oh shit, I was thinking like he's like 17 or 16 by now. he's 13. He got a notary to say like he's 17 and he forged his mom's signature to be like, hey, I want to enlist. Was he like four or five at this point? So he, no, he is actually... He is 5'8", and he weighs about 200 pounds. Okay. So you would never know he was actually 13 years old. Wow. Right? So he made it through basic training and was a Marine at the age of 14. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) They gave him a labor job as part of the training battalion of the Paris Island. Okay. So so they gave him a labor job. I said that weird, sorry, but so he has a job, labor. He's got menial tasks in front of him. So he hates this job. This is not what he signed up for. He wants to fight. Hating this job, uh, Jack walks out of this job and got a ride to Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Dude, he's not fucking around. No, he just walks out when he's not happy. Fuck you, Marines. I'm not going into battle, so I'm going to take this into, into my own hands. No, he wants to go to battle. I, well, I'm saying he the Marines didn't put him into oh, battle, I see, I see, so I he's ditching them to go find his own. That's right. Oh my goodness. So he told an officer there that he was that there was an error and he was supposed to be stationed at the front lines in combat. So He's supposed in to be combat. in combat. Yeah. 
Yeah. You said it a little funky. I did, yeah. So they were like, uh, okay, well, first you have to do this job, which is a truck driver job on the Marine Corps base on Pearl Harbor. So so now he's assigned to drive a truck around. Yep. But in Hawaii. In Hawaii on okay, Pearl Harbor. Okay, so if I got this right. Yeah. He was in where? Virginia? North Carolina. North Carolina, that's right. And he's like, fuck it. I'm managing to get to Hawaii somehow. Yeah. And then he shows up at Hawaii mm-hmm. and was like, hey, Marines, there was a mistake. Put me on the front lines. Yeah. And they're like, nah, you got to drive truck instead. Right. Okay. Hating this job. It's <laughs> <laughs> just the- not satisfied. Jack keeps requesting transfers to the front lines and he's denied each time. So for the next two years, he was arrested for bar fights, going AWOL to meet up with ladies, got busted with alcohol while walking through the barracks, uh, then arrested for punching a military policeman who busted him. Oh my goodness. He spent many nights in the brig and he was just really unhappy and this is not what he signed up for. No, he was going to go shoot people. Right. He was so scared that the war was going to be over before he could go into battle. (laughs) Jack. So he pretty much said, fuck it. I'm going no matter what they say. (laughs) Of course he is. Oh, my God. I'm going to find my way to their front lines. He snuck aboard a military transport ship headed to the front lines. So he spent a month living off crumbs just so he could, so they wouldn't ship him back. So he's hiding on this military oh, ship goodness. and just trying to survive, not being caught. He has more passion than I have, right? I will say. <laughs> on February 20th, 1945, now he's 17 years old at this time now, Jack is the 1st Battalion, 26th Marine, 5th Marine Division, was one of the only ones who charged the beachhead without a weapon. What? Because he didn't have one because he was a stowaway? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All of a sudden they're like, where'd that dude come from? (laughs) pretty much. He needs to get a meal on him. He's a little skinny. Yeah, right? He's about 160 now. (laughs) He quickly grabbed a gun off a dead man in the surf. With a gun in hand, he was ready for battle. (laughs) Yeah, he was. (laughs) Jack was running towards the tree lines as a machine gun fire, explosions, artillery fire was happening all around him. He was like, fuck it, I don't care. (laughs) I made it. Jack met up with a four-man fire team that were making their way through the jungle at this time. Okay. They thought they came across a machine gun nest but quickly realized that 11 men had gone into tunnels underneath and were now behind them. Oh, is this the Japanese then? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Marines turned around and then they opened fired. Oh, God. Jack's first round went into the helmet of an enemy soldier, killing him on the spot. His second round jammed in the rifle since he got this gun from the ocean. So it's not the greatest of uh, guns. Oh, Jack. Trying to fix a gun, Jack quickly sees a live hand grenade that lands right at his feet. Without hesitation, he throws his body on the grenade and screams to the other people to cover. Oh, my God. A second grenade then is thrown and is just arm's reach from Jack. He quickly grabs that and jams it underneath (gasps) with the first one. What? Yes. Why not just throw them back? That would be our reaction. <laughs> like, no, you take it. They're back at you. Oh. 
This type of grenade was a Type 97 fragmentation grenade. That doesn't sound good. It's a 16-ounce metal ball stuffed with 65 grams of TNT. Oh, my God. The deadly thing about grenades that people don't, you know, think it's just the explosion. It's actually the 100 bits of shrapnel that go flying through the air. So small oh. razor-sharp metal pieces go in all directions within 100 to 150 feet. But not in this case because it's our all going yeah. sitting on them. So once the grenades go off, Jack is just laying there, lifeless. Yeah. I would assume dead, but since this is a survival show, I'm going to think <laughs> maybe <the> not. <laughs> this act of heroism fired up the rest of the Marines, and they pushed back the enemy soldiers and captured that sector. Wow. Right. They were inspired by Jack's... Sacrifice? Sacrifice, yeah. well put. I was going to say something else. Stupidity? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they came back to retrieve uh, Jack's dog tags. But notice that he was still alive and conscious. Oh. The Navy corpsmen were called and they carried out Jack on a stretcher. With also having to use their 45 pistols to fight off the oncoming attacks. Oh, shit. So they're trying to drag him out of the jungle. Right. Are they in the jungle? Yeah. Did we say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dense jungle. <laughs> Sorry. And all the while just getting fired upon. Yep. So like, bang, bang, bang. Just like that. Yeah. <laughs> just like, pew, pew, pew. pew. <laughs> Uh, they got Jacqueline to a hospital ship, and it took 21 surgeries to remove 250 pieces of shrapnel from oh every God. major organ in his body. Good Lord. Yeah, it must have just completely torn up his whole abdomen. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. After seven months, Jack got to walk up to Henry S. Truman and receive his Medal of Honor in person. He had completely recovered at this point. So about seven months. <laughs> I'm waiting for them to be like, well, actually, you enlisted under false pretenses, so... He was the youngest Marine to ever receive the reward. <laughs> Jacqueline went home and finished school, like he promised his mom. Mm. He started in, in ninth grade when he went back, because, you know, he was in... He was 13 <laughs> years so old. Young. He was so young. But he graduated, and he even graduated college as well. Oh, good job. He was married three times. Uh, and even survived a murder attempt that his second wife hired a hitman on him what for. The fuck? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's a passionate guy. Yeah, what can I guess we say? so. At the age of 40, he wanted to get over his fear of heights and enlisted in the 82nd Airborne as a. This fucking tracks. <laughs> as, as a paratrooper. Oh, what? At 40? Yeah, at 40. Oh, can you even join the military at 40? Probably back then you could. I don't know. He was a paratrooper, so... Mm. That's crazy. It is crazy. But on his first training jump, both parachutes failed. What the he fuck, f- Caitlin? <laughs> he fell 300 and... <laughs> he fell 3,500 feet and attempted to do a commando roll just as he was about to hit the ground, and he did it perfectly and was able to walk away without any injuries fucking are you lying straight no just oh my god <laughs> just two weeks later he was back and his second training jump went better <laughs> i hope <laughs> yeah it went good he finished his tour four years later as a captain in the second in the 82nd airborne division he ran a business selling beef and even wrote an autobiography called Indestructible. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> he, he met. fucking fall 3,500 feet. 
And just like, and roll. Yeah. <laughs> and now. I know. He must have been thinking it like the entire way down. Like, what is your fucking thought process? Yeah, right? I mean, because you're falling for a while. Yeah. And you're just gaining speed the whole time. Nothing's fucking working. And now I'm going to roll. Yeah, right? Like, oh. I... I'm, yeah, mm, I have no words. I would try to roll, and turns out I just landed on my head and died faster. <laughs> my God. <laughs> you somehow broke your back to be the most painful way possible. <laughs> most people break their backs and get paralyzed and yeah. can't feel anything. Not you, no. girl. No. So he met every president from Truman to Clinton and has his original Medal of Honor citation laid out in the... In the hall of the... In the U. hall of the USS Iwo Jima. All right. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> he had a long and successful life, but died of cancer in 2008 at the age of 80. Oh, well, that was a pretty good life. 80? Yeah, 80 is pretty... I mean... That sucks that cancer got him. That blows. Cancer got him, right? I know. Not I'm surprised. The, not the grenade. Not the hitman. Not the falling. <laughs> the plane. Not the plane. That's impressive. Uh, right? Wow. So, good for you, Jacqueline. That just is some t- determination. Like, I want to do this. I'm just going to go. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's some determination that perhaps I've never felt in my life. Right. I mean... He is committed to his goal and... He didn't care about getting arrested. He didn't care about being dead. No. He... This is what he wanted. Yeah. I'm fucking abandoning my guys here yeah. and I'm heading over to Hawaii because yeah. I'm sick of this shit. Exactly. That's crazy. But just like, you hate this job? Walk out. Go do what you want to. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. I, that's a, a good message, I think. I get... I mean, there's... I think. I don't know. Do what you love. That's there right. Go. There we go. That's the message of the story. <laughs> Do what you love. Uh, and if that means going to war, I guess. Maybe I guess. Stow away in the ship. No, oh. then don't break the law. Okay. Anyways. Yeah, we. Do. I don't know if there's a lesson that we need to take away no, from this No, there's no one. lesson. He's a badass. I guess it's my turn for a story. It is, Michelle. Let's hear your awesome story. Okay, guys. Let's just take a pause real quick. <sighs> There's a shit ton of Russian names in here. And you... I do not speak Russian. I see. And, in fact, I think as it turns out, I don't even say Russian names well at all. But I will try. See, that was supposed to be a Russian accent, and that was not even... Oh, God. So... You're in for it. You are in for it. Oh, good God. All right. All right, so let's hear these Russian names. So I'm going to take us back to 2010. Okay. So 10 years. 10 years. So uh, this is September 2010. And there is 72 passengers on a, I don't know if it's a 2154 or a TU 154. So it's a type of plane. Sure. A big plane. And it is on a five hour trip from Polyarni Airport in Northeast. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. And so it begins. (laughs) That is in northeast Russia, and it's going to Moscow. Okay. So, as I said, it's a five-hour flight. So, on this plane, we have Stanislav uh-huh. and Yukaterina. Did I say that right? Yeah. That sounds good. Yukaterina. Okay. You anyway. still have the accent. Yukaterina. Okay. That's Italian or something. <laughs> I don't know. No, 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 no. Just continue You're... on. Yeah, I'm cutting that off right now. We're not trying anymore. Try. Nope, nope. We're not trying no more. Anyway, they're married. <laughs> they, uh, they've they actually flown on this particular flight 
a bunch. Okay. So it's kind of a commute flight for them. And Stanislav, who's 30, is always not calm on these flights. Oh, yeah. Always like, we're going to die. This is, it's going to crash every single time he's on Mm -hmm. this. And his wife, as always, is like, if we're fated to crash, we'll crash. If we're not, we won't. Yeah, like, (laughs) take or leave it. Yeah. I keep trying to get into a Russian accent. I just can't fucking do it. I had to do a Russian accent for this um, independent film I was an extra in. And they, like, I thought I was just in the background. But, like, hey, can you do this line in, like, with a Russian accent? And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) I did it, but I don't know if they kept it or not. Yeah, it's probably about as good as, well, I'm sure yours is better than my Italian accent trying to be. Well, I didn't do any hand motions either. <laughs> I know. I would do the chow. Or... Yeah. Oh, uh... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I need to maybe not be a part of this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so Stanislav worked in this remote diamond mining settlement way oh. up north. Um, and so even though he hated to fly by air, it was really the only choice. Right. I mean, otherwise the commute was going to be super long. Right. So Yucaterina had recently been appointed the head of juvenile delinquency department for the regional police department. Oh, wow. Which put her very far south. And so they both were away from home all the time. That sucks, though. Yeah, so she's working in the south, he's working in the north. Stanislav is a heavy equipment operator at the mine, so he can't easily just get another job right. somewhere else. And Does it pay well? I, I would assume so. I would hope. Because you know, if he's flying. You you're know. working in a diamond mine. But who knows, because it is a monopoly. And, oh. you know, in Russia, maybe things are a little tougher. I don't, mm. I don't really know. Yucaterina rented an apartment near her office, and then, so she would go a couple months without seeing her husband or their five-year-old daughter, Sophia. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so it was kind of a hard time. So they were squabbling a lot, and really, kind of the only time they spent together was on these flights where they were going to see their daughter. Uh, Their daughter, in the meantime, spent time with their grandmother um, while they were off doing both their jobs. So they were really kind of struggling to work things out. Right. And so on this particular occasion on this flight, they were taking a much needed holiday together and they were going to see their daughter. So they were going to go see their daughter? Yeah. Where is she? She's off in the Black Sea with her grandmother. Oh, the Black Sea. Yeah. I know. I was like, ooh, it's so exotic. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably very cold. (laughs) (laughs) So Stanislav just found it impossible to unwind. So they're on this plane and he is just completely wound up and just can't relax, can't relax. So, but up in the cockpit, the atmosphere was a little more relaxed. So it's a four-man crew and they have been making this Moscow Polarni, oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. To Moscow. This flight back and forth (laughs) from this town to this other town. Uh, They've been doing it for nearly a decade. So the pilots... Novoselov and Lamanov uh, were both veterans okay. <laughs> and had nearly two, 20,000 hours of flying experience oh, wow. between them. Yeah, so they were, you know, they knew what they were doing. They had been doing the same flight, probably in the same type of airplane for almost 10 years now. 
Both of them held the rank of commander, and both of the pilots were tall and slim. Hmm. So they had been working together for so long that they just worked in tandem very well together. Oh, okay. Like, they just sort of... Knew, it down. Yeah, they knew what each other were supposed to do and mm. everything. So, yeah, they had it down. So they knew their aircraft really well. And as they finished their safety checks, they taxied out onto the runway and launched uh, the big plane up into the sky. And they had no reason to suspect that there would be any issues, that this would be the same flight as normal. So. All right. All right. So this time, unfortunately, <laughs> Stanislav's anxiety was justified. Okay. So, this time, there would be trouble. Dun, dun, dun. It was very dramatic. No, I hate... I hate planes, so... Oh, I, I love planes. No. I'm sorry to hear that. The only thing I like is the airport, because it's like, I'm going on a trip. I'm going on a trip. And it then I get on the It is very exciting to be at the airport. Yeah, and then you get on, and it's like, ooh, my, I can't control any of this. Oh. And if we go down, it's over. I mean, you're... It's slim chance. Let's hear continue know, on I'm and sorry. let's hear it. But I, I mean, pretty much your chances are not that great. <laughs> I assume. Uh, hard pass. They're excellent. Yeah. Um, so about three hours after takeoff, as they're cruising over northwestern Russia, the plane shook violently, and then Dang. the autopilot disengaged. <gasps> so the two pilots, Novoselov and Lamanov, I'm sorry quickly took the controls. So they kind of grabbed the controls and sort of got the plane back into going smoothly, okay. if you will. So it's like, oh no, it's okay. Yeah, we okay. got the controls, autopilot's off, but we're flying it. So all's well. So they turned to their flight engineer, Rafik, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> they instructed him to figure out why the autopilot had quit working. Okay. So he's like looking all around and he's scanning the instrument panel and he sees a red light flash and he's like, we've got a power failure. Oh. So the basic electricity on the plane had failed. (gasps) The uh, plane had switched automatically to their battery powered reserve system, but that wasn't working either. So Rafik, with a quiet alertness, as it says, didn't know what was uh, causing the problem, but he grasped the gravity of the situation pretty quickly. Okay. He realized they were in fucking trouble. Oh, no. Like, big time. So one of the pilots, the guy that one starts with an N, (laughs) he radioed uh, to the air traffic control and informed them of the problem, of the regional air traffic. Um, and he's like, there's a chance that we're going to have to make an emergency landing. Please find us the closest airport. Okay. And they're like, please verify the reason. And then <gasps> it like cut off because they lost the power to the radio. No. Yeah, so they were like, oh. so then all of the gauges go dead. The instruments go dead. The navigation devices go dead <gasps> and the control systems they start all start switching off one by one by one. <gasps> Just ding, ding, ding. Do the lights go out? Uh, yes. Oh yes, my they gosh! Do. So, this particular aircraft has four reserve batteries. But the the four batteries on this particular flight, uh, or on this particular airplane, were at least 11 years old. And oh. the lifespan of these batteries is 12 years old. So um, they're getting to the end. They yeah. could even be possibly past their expiration, if you will. The investigators later concluded that one of the four batteries experienced a thermal runaway, which means it overheated to the point that its electrolytic fluid 
boiled away. Mm. So this effect affected the battery next to it. So the battery next to it no longer worked. Oh. And then unrelated to the battery failure, a voltage jump in the airplane's main electrical components uh-huh. crippled the other batteries. Oh my gosh. So it's like... Worst elect- case scenario everywhere. Yeah. So it was like a power surge that fucked up two batteries and then this other battery overheated and fucked up the other battery. Oh, so now all four batteries are gone. Wow. Um, and so they had like a little bit of power, but mm-hmm. in just a few minutes, all the power from the batteries was depleted. So they had to have everything be operated on manual mode with okay. pretty much no power. So we have Stanislav with his wife, Yukatrina, in yeah. the back. And he sees the fasten seatbelt sign, you know, on the yeah. up there, slowly go dim and then go out. So the light's on all nice and bright and then yeah. it dims out and goes out. And he's like, that can't be good. Yeah. That's strange. Um, so he turns to his wife and is like, something's happening and we're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, no, no, don't worry. Everything's yeah. going to be fine. It's all well. And then one of the flight attendants is kind of like, something's not right. And so she goes to the cockpit and (laughs) Rafika's like, we've got a big problem. We'll tell you about it later. And like ushers her out. Get the fuck out of here. Oh, wow. And so she goes back out. That's not a lot of confidence. (laughs) Yeah, that's not what you want to hear. You want to hear, no, everything's great. I don't know what you're talking about. So she had been flying... For over 30 years as a flight oh, okay. attendant. Um, and so she guessed that the glitch was electrical. She went back to the cabin and kind of apprised the other flight attendants of the situation. Okay. And one of those flight attendants was her husband. Oh. So they had been flying on this flight together now for seven years. Aww. And so one worked in the front of the plane and one worked in the back of the plane. So they kind of all got together said, hey, there's a problem. We got to kind of diffuse this situation, help out where we can. Yeah. And then they all went off. But okay. they all made sure they had their IDs in their pocket. So, because that's protocol in case the plane goes down. Oh, They my can gosh. identify the bodies. No! Yeah. Oh, my so gosh. they all had their IDs in their pockets. God, can what you... a hard job. Like, you're like, okay, we're going to go down. It's okay, everyone. Like, yeah. Just Would like... you like a Pepsi? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before we go, yeah. oh my god! <laughs> oh, so the pilots now they have no instruments or really anything. There are very few instruments okay. are working at this point. So they bring the plane down. So they lower the altitude. So before like they slowly like yeah, I don't think they're like right. and here we are. <laughs> so they were cruising at about thirty thousand feet. Okay, and then they brought it down to about nine thousand feet. And then when they got to about 3,600 feet, they started sort of skimming the top of some clouds. This is all in meters, so I did that conversion in my head. So, excuse me if I'm way wrong. They're like, bitch, no no one flies at 30,000 feet. So, but at 3,600 feet, they get to the top of a cloud layer. So, they cannot see the ground underneath. So, now they're kind of like, what do we do next? Right. So it's dangerous to go any lower because they don't have their altitude indicator that tells them kind of how far they are from the ground and they need to be able to see the horizon so they can make sure that the plane stays 
flat, I guess. Oh. So they don't go cruising off and like down into a mountain or something. So they flew for about 400 miles searching for a gap where in the clouds where they could get down safely and kind of see where they are. Okay. So, but suddenly a warning light goes off. (gasps) And it indicated that the fuel levels were critically low. What? Yeah. <laughs> so. Don't they gas? The, like, don't they put fuel in every plane before a flight? They do. But what turns out is the pump that keeps the fuel moving uh-huh. through everything went out because oh. it has no power. So Shit. while they do, in fact, have fuel, they can't get it you know, working. Oh. <laughs> so they can't get it into the engine. Wow. So. I'm the, stressed out. Yeah, I know. So they didn't have the constant current to get the pump to work. So the three engines could only use what was left in the small tank that fed them directly. So they knew they had about 30 minutes left of fuel. Okay. So there was no time to waste. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> so focusing on his training, one of the pilots... Sorry. It's okay. This one. Just one Tal- of them. Tal Aviv. Uh, he tries to send an SOS signal on an emergency frequency, unaware that the transmitter had already stopped working. So oh. he's like frantically trying to send SOS and it's not going anywhere. So they decide they're going to dip down below the clouds so they can you see. But yeah. yeah, it's like we don't have a choice. So they tell the flight attendants to get in the back to have all the... Uh, passengers sort of brace themselves and try to keep things as calm as they can. So they head back and they kind of get to work. So Stanislav mm-hmm. turns to his wife and is like, we're going to die. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, everything is going to be fine. Though she is not believing herself <gasps> anymore. No! She is beginning to kind of lose hope that things are not not going to turn out for the best. So the married flight attendant... Dimitri? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Dimitri. Um, (laughs) He's in the back of the plane, and his wife is working in the front of the plane. And he pretty much does everything he can to avoid making eye contact with her. Because he knows that if he makes eye contact her, like, he might have to say goodbye. (gasps) Oh, my gosh! And he knew he would be emotional. And he's like, I got a job to do, and I got to just do that job. Oh, my gosh. That's so sad. So the pilots get, they go through the clouds. So they go through this whole disorienting whiteness, and Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to tell if they're even flat or, you know, Mm -hmm. all this kind of shit. But they managed to hold the control steady and just get under the cloud layer. And the land beneath them is covered with, I think, taiga? Is that what it is? Taiga? Anyway, it's forest. Oh, okay. It's like deep, deep forest. Okay. Because Russia is covered in huge amounts of forest. So he knows that they can't land in the trees. And so he sees a river and he's like, we're going to aim for the river. Like, we'll try to get oh. the sand on the sides of the river, but it's try- it's better than trying to land inside all these trees. So where- there's a little river. They're like, let's, there. We'll go there. Okay. We're going to aim for that. All we're right. going to aim for the sand. So the flight attendants, they're all, you know, making sure everything's all snugged up, you mm-hmm. know, shutting all the little doors and everything you know all the crap that's in airplanes i don't know sorry let's see what it says fastening covers and screw and securing loose equipment that's what they're doing okay and moving passengers so they can free up the emergency exits 
So oh. they're clear. So is everyone just in a panic right now or everyone's just like, this is just what's going to happen. Yeah, I think they're all kind of coming to grips with the right. fact that their plane is going to fucking crash. Oh I can't gosh. even imagine the terror. I cannot no. even imagine. Oh, God. So they're flying down to kind of get a closer look at this river slash sand bank that they're going to okay. land on. And they sort of did a pass and then they see an airstrip. There's this tiny <gasps> little airstrip in the middle of fucking nowhere that has been retired since like 1997. Oh, wow. And so no one's there, but it's there. Yeah. Well, actually, it turns out it is a helicopter oh. like airstrip now. It used to be for planes, but that was a long time ago. And so now they just use it for helicopters. It's a little settlement called Yuzma. I don't yeah. know. Sorry, guys. Whose principal industry is reindeer herding. Oh, cute. Like, oh, all right. So they're actually about, this is 1,500 kil- uh, kilometers, I'm not sure, so 3,000 miles maybe. Sure. North of Moscow. So they see this tiny little airstrip, and this airstrip is only about maybe 2,600 feet long. Oh, my gosh. And this airplane that they're driving uh-huh. needs 7,500 feet oh my gosh. to land. Okay, yeah. So they're like, fuck, yeah. this is going to be a challenge. So they kind of do three circles around. So they circle around once trying to sort of get the angle correct. Okay. They don't have it. So they circle around again. And then on the third time, they sort of circle and come way back so they can try to land right at the beginning of the airstrip. Right. So they have as much runway as they possibly can for stopping. So they had to lower down the landing gear manually because, of course, there's no power. Right. The, you know, like the flaps on the wings and uh-huh. stuff, none of that worked. <gasps> so all oh. that stuff that normally slows you down, none of it was yeah. working. So they were going to have to use good old-fashioned stick-and-rudder skills to land a modern aeronautical behemoth (laughs) on a runway designed for a little prop plane. Oh, my goodness. So, uh... It's better than the river, though, right? Yeah, I'm sure it's better than the river. So some of the passengers were praying. Others were vomiting into air sickness bags. Oh, my gosh. The flight attendants were walking down the aisle offering smiles and reassurances. I'm like, fuck off. Leave me alone. And then you got Stanislav here. He's like, what are we, what is our daughter going to do if we die? Aww. Like, She'll stay with her mom. It's fine. So on the fourth pass, the pilots honed in on their target and they were able to sort of bring the plane down. And, you know, as the flight attendants are like, attention, we're landing. And so to get it, I guess. Everyone brace brace themselves. So the two flight attendants that are married, they still have not been able to look at each other. To even look at each other. One's in the front, one's at the back. So, I mean, if all ends badly, they will not have been able to say goodbye to each other. I know, it's fucking heartbreaking. But they're able to get the nose of the plane down onto the runway and they start hitting the brakes. And it's like... Like, <laughs> just like that. Oh, just like that. There was some hand motions in there too, so it all worked. Yeah. So they slowed down from 380 kilometers an hour to 100. 
Dang. And but the runway was way too short. And so they went off the front of the runway and were just going into forest essentially. Oh, so no. it's like there's Trees, trees and shit hitting the sides of the plane and it's like you know yeah probably making a whole shit ton of noise like what you fucking <laughs> <skin> hooker <laughs> i almost did it too i was like stop 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 <laughs> i just wanted some god awful <laughs> i'll kill you oh my god so they were screaming ah stop 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 ah! <laughs> you're welcome thank you <laughs> So people were screaming as branches hit the windows. Um, and when the fa- the plane finally stopped, about 600 feet into the woods, a vapor ru- rose from the wheels because oh. there was like so much friction, mm-hmm. I guess. So they saw all this smoke coming up and they're like, open the doors, the fucking plane's on fire. Yeah. And so they're all trying to... Um, Get out. Kind of, yeah, they're... So the flight attendants are pretty much trying to prevent a stampede mm. from going out. And they're like, stay where you are. You got to sit down. We got to figure out what's going on. So they go out and realize that the plane is, in fact, not on fire. And they start, you know, letting people leave the plane. And when, what was her name? Katrina, She burst out into tears Aww. at this point. And then uh, Stanislav realized that maybe his wife needed him a little bit. So he... Instead of, you know, continuing to panic, decided yeah. to start to comfort her. Aww. Yeah. So, so sweet. So they started ex- exiting the plane via an emergency chute. Mm-hmm. And about 10 minutes later, the local emergency brigades arrived. There was a light drizzle and friends and strangers hugged and shared cigarettes Aww. and took sips of, of vodka. Vodka. <laughs> and cognac. But for the flight crew, however, the work was not over. Mm. The plane had to be sealed and the officials needed to be debriefed. A uniformed emergency worker approached one of the pilots with a grave expression. He said there was one casualty. (gasps) What? And the pilot shuddered and was like, who is it? You killed a hare. You killed a rabbit. Really? (laughs) And and then they broke into a grin and they all laughed. And That poor rabbit. Yeah, the poor rabbit died. But none of the passengers did. And there was only one couple on the plane that were too traumatized to ever fly again. But it was not Stanislav and Yukatrina. No. They fucking flew again. Oh, good. No. That was it. Yeah, I think I wouldn't be able to fly for a long, long time (laughs) after that. Are you fucking kidding me? A long time. Oh. Yeah, I think I would be done with flying. Yeah. My mom says she... um, her and my dad took a flight into Vegas uh-huh. once, and it was so hot that the runway actually started to melt. Oh, my gosh. And the turbulence was so bad that the plane just, like, fell out of the sky <gasps> a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Where yeah, it just, just like, dropped yeah. down, like, a, who knows how many, probably 40 feet or something like that. But Oh, my gosh. It's terrifying. So, ever since then, my mom has been terrified to fly. Absolutely. And, Every right to. Yeah. Well, remember when we went to Disneyland and they, like, hit the runway and then took off again and then made a circle? Oh, that's right. Yeah, right? Like, what was that about? I was not having that. No, and I, I remember trying to play it cool. But yeah, But I was right. like, that shit doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> oh, I've never had that happen. No. So that was weird. I remember one of my first flights, it was, we were going to Chicago. I was going with my dad 
and we were stuck on the runway forever and apparently it was a brand new plane Mm -hmm. and they forgot a few parts (gasps) and like they forgot the wind the like sun visor Uh for the pilots so there wasn't that so we ended up having to like wait while they installed these last couple parts oh my gosh (laughs) wow how is this even fucking possible right so that was horrifying we made it though that's good so damn (laughs) Well, I was on a on a amusement park ride, and then uh, a screw hit me in the head while what? I was going. Yeah, oh, that's and, scary. Yeah, right. And I'm like, mm, and this is one that goes upside down. And so I tell him, was like, this at the fair? Yeah, I was at the no. state fair. And uh, I told the person, they're like, okay, so I don't know if they fixed it or not, but I doubt it. They're probably like, hit me eh. right in the head. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not good. That doesn't give you a lot of confidence. No, it doesn't. That's why I've always liked, you know, Disneyland and, yeah. you know, the more permanent amusement parks yeah. rather than the fair. Absolutely. Agreed. As a kid, you don't give a shit. Yeah, exactly. But... Those are great stories. <sighs> I apologize. I'm I'm going to come back and be like, I know all these fucking Russian names and I'm going to go bam, 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 bam. And I'm going to say them all perfectly. Yeah, but it's too late now. The story's over. Yeah, but I'm going to come back okay. next time and be like, bam, bam, bam. I can say them perfectly now. Oh, okay, great. I can't, if, uh, sometimes when I find a story and I, like, I just can't say the name, I well, seriously might think it's just passing. But, like, is, that's me. I do that. This is one that I've had for probably six months. Oh, really? And, but did not bring it just for that very reason. Right. <laughs> you did good. I think they sounded fine. Yeah, you're so, so sweet. Mm. There's going to be a lot of people who are like, oh, girl, just don't even try. Vodka. Now I can see. You can't do it. I do it all the time. When we're playing D&D, I whip into a Russian accent like all the time. Yeah. I want to hear it. Oh, you little. No, no, no. No, 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 no. No, I can't do it. But I bet you can. Okay. Finish that drink and then you can do it. Oh, God. So I can. Okay. I believe you, but you haven't proven to me yet. So. I'm not. I'm done trying today. Okay. All right. Tomorrow. Vodka. Okay. <laughs> Michelle. Okay. Um. Anything else before we go? No. No. I'm done. Um. Uh, we're glad to be back, Fuck and you, <laughs> we hope you enjoy this podcast. And uh, we'll see you next time. Woo-hoo! Oh wait. You can follow us. <laughs> we're done with that. Yeah. Okay. We're following. Okay. I should totally be there right now. Platforms. There you go. All right. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>